Coming fast and furious as Mike, Mike, and Oscar is bringing you another Oscar race checkpoint to start off your week as we are just through a couple more uh, virtual online film festivals that featured a couple supposed should be expected to be Oscar contenders. I am your co-host, Mike One. This is co-host also Mike. So I have never binged movies like this in my life, Michael. <laughs> I, uh, I've watched 20 feature films and seven short films since Thursday night the 15th it's just been ridiculous that i've been able to do six movies a day the last three days i'm, I'm sure if like I, I was actually at the festival i think the most i ever did was four actually at a festival so this has just been it's been doable to do it at home and like still walk my dog or to still go out and grab a sandwich or you know still have some kind of life but friday right. i did nothing but watch movies took it off did it movie watching all day same with saturday and sunday there was a point last night where i felt like dr i was drunk i was watching so <laughs> like i'm watching undine you got movie drunk german mermaid movie and i was movie drunk i was like this is gorgeous <laughs> i like it but oh my god i'm lightheaded <laughs> <laughs> you are you are the equivalent of Jeff Goldblum in The Fly right now, except in going in through a machine is just you sitting on your couch watching all these films. Like you're going in half human and you're going to come out a fully fleshed out film critic snob. Your nose is going to be in the air. You're going to be wearing a monocle oh, and a scarf. It's, it's happened. It probably happened midway <laughs> on Saturday with Joaquin Phoenix's produced Gunda. The movie oh about a pig. God. It's a silent movie about a pig, by the way. And it was terrific. Oh, and I was just like, Mwah! Uh, bravo, bravo, bellissima. And yeah, no, it's exactly what happened. You make a dinner for yourself just so you could throw it off the table and call it uncultured swine. It, it definitely happened. I am, uh, I'm going to go out and buy scarves this week. Your, your endurance for, for movie watching is unparalleled. I do not have that same endurance, but we are going to talk on this episode about a couple headline movies that people have raved about and they have great scores and reviews. People are expecting them to compete for Oscars. I just want to start with a question off the top, Mike. I'm guessing you already kind of answered it, but I, I'm assuming you are a fan of the online virtual format. I'm asking that seriously, believe it or not. So as a follow-up... <laughs> Do you think this is going to keep going? Like, do you think when normalcy, quote unquote, whatever that means, returns for these festivals, they'll still be putting these things online in the future to try to get more, even more revenue coming in for people like you and I who are nowhere near Middleburg and other places like that? The only financial report I saw was that the New York Film Festival uh, performed much better than their target numbers mm -hmm. so they didn't put a cap i don't think on any of these uh, virtual tickets or maybe they they had one that was way far off and that was a d distant cap but they made more money than they thought they would and afi and middleburg you know they they jumped on the bandwagon i wonder how they did i, I guess we're going to find out in the coming weeks bottom line is i think I got, I got to stop saying bottom line. I say it a lot. Sundance should follow suit. That's the next big one. Sundance right. should go virtual for this year, no matter what, or if they should, they should have a virtual component. I do think there will be 
a virtual component in film festivals going forward, at least next year. And if they overperform in a similar way, then yeah, the why why wouldn't you continue this for a portion of your slate? Why wouldn't you continue this? It's worked like a charm for us. It's 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 helped me, you know, get on top of all these movies this weekend. Right. We can't go to all every film festival, exactly. nor can the uh, you know film loving public. So you have that film loving public willing to you know pay a little more than an average theater going ticket to see these movies virtually. Let them do it. I don't see the downside to it, like you. I guess. I guess there's a, an argument that this could hurt the back end of these films. I mean, maybe they they won't get as much on VOD, but I don't know what the revenue split is between the film festivals and the studios versus going on or going on VOD and the studios. I don't know if the 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 exchange is different if they're making more money the studios themselves and the films themselves are making more money this platform versus when they do go VOD. I don't know that information, but yeah, like you, I don't see the downside to doing this in the future. Have a cap for ticket numbers. You can't just let anybody in who wants it, but you can let certainly more people that can fit into a theater at the actual film festival physical locales. You're spreading love of film this way. You're getting more money for the studios and the festivals this way. I think this is a win-win, in my opinion. So I do hope it goes forward like this. This month is all about politics, or this next two months, I guess, right? Basically, mm. it's energizing your base is is, uh, yeah. is the equivalent I would uh, give it. I, I think at the end of the day, I don't think hundreds of thousands of people are you know tuning into these film festivals virtually so i don't think i think it's right. a moot point bottom line is you're energizing your cinema loving base and uh, someone like me can comes out of this weekend and i'm just uh on cloud nine i, I saw right. 20 movies that i think we're gonna you know do little snapshot reviews later in the week of including one night in miami and i'm gonna say positive things about every single one of them i've watched right. 20 movies in the last four days they're all good they're all c plus or better somehow impossibly so the, they're putting out good product out there for us to to purchase I'm very excited for the people to hear my review of One Night in Miami. It's like you tease what will be coming up for us later in this week. It's it's a laugher. But all right, let's talk about the films we have as headlines for this episode, this Oscar race checkpoint, as we go around the awards season world and give you all news Oscar-centric. We're going to start with a couple reviews. Minari, uh, you can still catch that tonight, October 20th, uh, in the U.S., MontclairFilm.org, M-O-N-T-C-L-A-I-R. R-F-I-L-M, all one word, dot org, on the Montclair Film Festival there. Minari will be its centerpiece. You pay $12. I think there's still tickets available, so if you want to check that out, we were able to see it as part of the Middleburg Film Festival. Let's talk about it, Mike, and let's talk about some Oscar categories related to Minari. Yeah, best picture, 7 out of 20 experts on Gold Derby have it in their top 10s, 10 out of 12 on Next Best Picture. It's ranked 7th on Clayton Davis's list on Variety. It was the Grand Jury prize and audience award winner at the Sundance Film Festival back in January. So could it be nominated? Yes. Should it be nominated? That is the bigger question for us because we have some differing, you know, reviews. I come away from a movie like this and it feels very literary. It feels like that book I had to read in class that was, you know, substantive and enriching mm. and good for the soul and kind of boring and <laughs> you know it, it, there's dramedy involved there there's a couple you know fun characters like that grandmother character she is adorable i loved her outstanding yes yeah but it's it also you know she's literally participating in a parade of sadness at the end of the movie so 
I think you have some, you know, you have a tough sell for a typical Academy voting in this category, but it's not a typical Academy vote this year. So maybe it does, you know, get in the top 10. Yeah. You, you are higher on this movie than I am. Uh, to me, ironically, this is what you would term a vegetables type movie, which is, you know, ironic on a couple levels oh, yes. there, but it, you know, it's, it's, it's Minari. Fine. The movie's named Minari. That is a vegetable. Isn't right. It? <laughs> exactly. That's a good point. <laughs> you know, this, this movie is fine for me. Like it exists. I've been thinking about movies lately in terms of like tiers and deviations. Right. This to me is the same tier as like Kelly Reichert's first cow, which we gave a cursory review to at the head of a different Oscar race checkpoint episode. For me, this mm-hmm. is like that C plus B minus range. I think it was an 82 for me when I first uh, watched it. I gave it a little more thought and I was aggravated even more by its shortcomings. I bumped it down a point. So I'm on 81 on it right now, probably three deviations away from what should be considered a best picture from where I sit. I, I, I found myself very bored at times during this mike the middle kind of slogged it really wasn't the middle it's like the 60 percent point from 60 to 75 yeah. percent it was really boring but i i loved kind of i loved all the family dynamics it was much funnier than i ever thought possible like there was a there joke are some laughs yeah there was a joke in a trailer and i was like all right there's the one joke in the movie that they gave us but a24 had more jokes up their sleeve so i'm really glad about that much I would have liked more, you know, zoom-ins on the food if they're making all this food and they're spending so much time on the food. But that's just, again, another quibble that I usually have. I love the characters, bottom line, and the character actors, you know, putting out great performances. Stephen Yun, uh, Ye Ri Han, the hilarious grandmother there. I, I should have looked up her name. Both, both Yu Jong Yoon. Thank Yu you. Yu Jong Yoon is the grandmother's name, yeah. Both kids were excellent as well. And I, that is an almost impossible task to get two child actors that can both hang with with a with a great ensemble here so the both both kids especially that little boy who adorably introduced the film yes that was very cute and that little snippet so I, this movie won me over again you know i have a tolerance for literature so b plus 87 at the end of the day for me i usually have 40 to 60 b pluses though uh, in a typical year and mm-hmm. i think i already have like 29 this year so even in a oh wow even in this 2020 huh? even in this 2020 uh, I got a, a long list and therefore should it be in anybody's top ten should, should it be in my top ten no it's not going to be there should it be in best picture at the end of the day I I think a movie like this deserves it more than a Bohemian Rhapsody in my opinion well sure yeah which yeah, is more of a technical you know marvel at certain times even though people have made very you know reasonable arguments that it's technical you know technical uh, workmanship craftsmanship mm-hmm. i can't speak today by the way because i've been watching <laughs> nothing but movies people have been speaking at me i think i i like a movie like this in the top 10 than and a movie like first cow in the top 10 rather than a, a lousy musical biopic for the uh, upteenth time but at the end of the day i think it's gonna get boxed out <sighs> This we this can't make the best picture field. <laughs> I mean, I'm sorry. It's a fine. Like I think it's worth watching. I gave it a decent grade, and it's overall it's it's enriching. But I, I just got so frustrated at different points. We could talk about original screenplay because I think screenplay sabotages the momentum of the film. Quite frankly, yeah. It's a, I mean, it's tough because it's based on his real life. Lee Isaac Chung wrote and directed this film. I'm really happy for him that A24 yes. has patroned his work. And this is one of those career builders 
And mm-hmm. it's second on Clayton Davis's list in original screenplay right now. So it's getting all the buzz in the world. Uh, Next Best Picture, our friends, they all have it in their top tens. Four out of 18 experts on Gold Derby have it in their top fives. Screenplay noms are typically gateway nominations. And I would say, yes. you know, for people like Lee Isaac Chung, who have to, haven't been on the Oscar radar yet, you know, who haven't, quote-unquote, paid their dues yet. You see a lot of first-time noms in this category uh, every year. You, Ryan Johnson last year with Knives Out. Yorgos Lanthimos a few years before that with The Lobster. So you often see Jordan that. Jordan Peele, yeah. Well, yeah, Jordan Peele kind of had that breakout, you know, multiple nomination. But you're right, Jordan Peele, Greta Gerwig, even though that she wrote a few scripts before that. Right. But we thought someone like the eighth-grade uh, – comedian there. Bo Burnham, yeah. Bo Burnham, he was going to break through because it was becoming a trend like year after year, you know, that that trendy pick would wind up in that category. To me, this script reads like literature. Does the uh, Academy just put on their scarves, like I said at the beginning of the episode, that <laughs> I have to go out and buy now as a, as a finely tuned movie critic. For, right. You know, we've been pretending all of this time and now i can actually say 20 movies in one weekend i need to buy about seven or eight scarves and just wear it with every ensemble that i put on and that's what i'm calling was, my uh, outfits I was now, thinking, by the way right sure of course you have to but if i was thinking i would have pushed for us to do like a fast and furious franchise review immediately after this weekend for you just to see what you would have said about it but uh look as far as screenplay here goes it really wouldn't surprise me because you're right. That's how the original screenplay category, it's been kind of like a gateway to Oscars and Oscars nominations specifically. You're absolutely right. I would be less offended to see it in Best Picture than I would be to see it nominated for original screenplay because, like I said, for me, I think the biggest flaw of the whole movie was its screenplay because when you have a grandma, that grandma character as likable as Yoo Jung Yoon's mm-hmm. is, mm-hmm. and the relationship as appealing to the one she and Alan Kim's David have why abandon it? I feel like it was abandoned. Like like you said, kind of 60% of the way through the movie. I felt like the script tried too hard to try and give every character dimensions and it just took too long and had little to no payoff for me. Yes, the child actors were great, but the sister character is not really integral to any storyline going on. It just felt like time wasted at points. Uh, I... Uh... I don't know. I, I wrap the scarf around my neck a few more times, and I can <laughs> I can fondle that and, and uh, come up with payoffs that I liked a little bit more. Again, I think it's understated. I think it's un- an understated ending, and it's one of those movies that it's just not going to hit you over the head with anything. And I'm not saying that you didn't perceive what was happening. I'm just saying that, you know, it's going to be like... Uh, I make fun of my parents whenever I see them because they have a uh, warm water diet. Everything's very... Everything they make now tastes like warm water. They, they drink tea. They drink tea in between every meal. They put everything in a crock pot, and whatever comes out, it's just a warm water diet. I mean, they're mostly vegan now. It's just one of those situations where they used to have the richest food. I mean, every dinner we ate as kids was just. Mm, ah, I'm so happy with everything, and then now it's just like, all right, can I get a little salt somewhere, anywhere? And it's just warm water. It, like if you, but the more you eat the warm water diet on the week. Weekends, the more you'll taste the nuances, and I think that's what it is. I watched 20 movies. One was produced by Joaquin Phoenix about a pig, Mike. It was a silent film. Did I tell you? Did yeah. I mention this? Yeah, yeah I've, I've heard that This before. movie was yeah, like somewhere. a fucking Bond film compared to that. I just, like, I was, I was riveted. 
So, so, so my neck stays cold in the winter. Still, is what you're saying, as far as film criticism goes. Right, I think I, I can see the love. I can see the appeal for this. But like First Cow, it's just if you're gonna be that slow and yeah. deliberate in your pacing, can you have a payoff? I, it's I'm sorry that I give a shit about. Yeah, but it's a true story about I know, Lee Isaac Chung's I know. childhood. So he's I not know. trying to embellish all that right? i guess i'm saying lee isaac chung have a better childhood you know <laughs> no, I, like, I don't know I, I know i'm being a dick you're right you're absolutely right i'm being a dick uh let's talk about steve yoon for supporting actor some people have him in lead i personally don't understand how he can be supporting but go ahead mike tell me about steven yoon and his oscars chances. Well, i want him to be supporting everybody has him in lead he's ninth on clayton davis's list nine out of 12 on next best picture in their top tens he's in zero out of 12 of their top fives he's in four out of 19 top fives on gold derby and that's all in lead actor well my argument would be is that he he does not have more screen time than the last three winning supporting actors brad pitt had more screen time than him I so like did Mahershala, like ali and green book and so did sam rockwell in three billboards and you know i would consider him similar to sam rockwell in three billboards and the way he has to have a final confrontation at the end of the movie but i could argue that the kid the little boy david is the quote-unquote protagonist in the film and in the structure of the screenplay even though he's not the lead the top billed actor of the movie which often is how the academy votes but there's been category fraud rampant in the actor you know two categories over the last few years so why not do it this year with steven yun i I mean he burst onto the scene the last few years with burning and mayhem and now minari i think he's paid some dues and he's on people's top tens and top five lists for the entire year i mean this is one of those feel-good stories those silver linings so if he has a better chance in supporting let him go supporting a24 don't even think twice about it so yeah i can see i like your argument i could see why somebody would push for him to be in supporting for him to be considered a supporting character in this movie though i think you'd have to make you'd have to accept that they're all supporting characters and if they're all supporting characters by default they're gonna pick a lead somebody's gonna pick a lead and i think that's where you that push would run into trouble because his decisions kind of dictate, I mean, it's his goal, his vision, that character's decisions pretty much dictate the entirety of every storyline and the direction that the film heads in. But I do like the argument you make there comparing him vis-a-vis to like Brad Pitt and Mahershala Ali of years past. I agree. His performance is, is my favorite from everyone's in this movie. I think it's great range, not only in this film, but also from Steven Yoon, just in general in his career. We've seen him in the past few years go from likable zombie killer to mysterious grifter. (laughs) And now he's, He's truly despicable at parts in this movie, even though, again, I think the script puts his characters into some extremely hard-to-relate-to situations. But I, like you, I see this the same way. I think this is kind of a resume builder long-term for him. I don't know necessarily that this is going to be his breakthrough with the Academy on the back of this. Oh, if you're going to stack up either category's big names against him Mm. right now you can make the argument that at the end of the day he's going to get bumped out of both but you know i I would hope this is kind of that top 10 performance for him where he is just firmly cemented on the academy's radar over the next you know five or ten years because he's putting out those those good movies year after year can he still break through this year i i think this is a performance that's good enough there's no question 
I think he's got a better chance in supporting right now. But again, we got to see how it shakes out because Chadwick Boseman could be involved in both. We got all the big names in lead. We got all the Chicago 7 in supporting. We got the One Night in Miami guys, those three guys, at least oh, three of them. Those legendary performances from that movie, yes. So there's a lot of competition. There's more than There's a think. joke tied to that. You people are going to have to listen to our next episode. Yeah, it's not because... <laughs> here's the implications of that joke you're making it sound like it's a bad movie it's right not bad it's movie. not no, it's like not a bad movie. movie no yes exactly I, I like the movie and yeah no you're an idiot anyway <laughs> i'm an idiot yes that's the joke there uh we can move on to something that's not an idiot we could talk about sound of metal and the sound design category for sound of metal right now we have it fourth on clayton davis's list on variety for sound design eric Cohn of indiewire called it one of the best sound mixes he's ever heard in a movie so obviously for a movie about a rock star going deaf and becoming deaf, the sound design is going to be essential to telling that story. And we haven't had that uh, essential nature to a sound design maybe since the Qu- a Quiet Place, Mike. So yeah. like A Quiet Place, the sounds aren't pleasant ones for a variety of reasons. They're grating and aggravating on our ears but they matter so darn much to the story. So it's one of those nominations that I'm probably going to wrestle with throughout the season. Uh, Cause I didn't, you know, I knew quiet place was going to get nominated, but I was like, I don't like it. It's loud. And right. It hurts <laughs> right. my ears. Well, well, you, you had to be turned on a little by this one, right? Because for as much as you feared something like the sound, a movie with the title, the sound of metal, this one was relatively quiet. I did picture a lot because I didn't like the trailer either. So I pictured right. a lot of the overt, you know, on the nose stuff from the trailer. And then I pictured a lot of loud noises that would make me squeal. I didn't get that. Most of this movie is it's like really quiet and silent. And then you get some featured sound design, especially right. in the middle. So I would agree that it's not as grating as I feared, but it's still like the middle of the movie is like, oh my God, I'm just nails on a chalkboard. Right. And sound, I, I, you hit the nail on the head. It plays such an integral roll into what's going on in the plot of this and because of that i can see this not only being nominated in the sound design category i kind of expect it to be there and yeah. actually nominated at the end of the day you mentioned a quiet place but the academy does have this history of giving nominations where audio is such an impactful part of the main storyline a quiet place is a good example multiple star wars films obviously have been there ford v ferrari last year inception apocalypto sea biscuit like those movies mm-hmm. maybe even more so sound kind of is the entirety of the main storylines in sound of metal for various reasons. So I, I do expect this to be nominated, barring some kind of unforeseen circumstance coming up. I had to look up the title Blockers with you just now. <laughs> but John Cena was in Blockers, and there was a character in Blockers that kept sensing his moment. And it was like a dance-off moment where he would like, yes. this is, is this my moment? And, and every time he would have his moment somebody would knock into him and he would instead have a humiliation, a group humiliation amongst everyone. He's about to do his, all his dance moves. And I feel like the sound design category, they pounce on their moments. Okay? Yes, I They're, agree. They are this character. So when they have sound design featured in the plot of a film, right. in a good film, which this is, another B-plus for me, even a low B-plus, low B it's, it's another B-plus for me. I, lo- I really enjoyed this film for a lot of reasons. 
when they pounce on that moment and they should pounce on this moment for this film to feature a sound design in the story and it's selling this movie. And it is immaculate. Like the sound really truly is incredible and what they're able to do with it in this movie. So I just, whether you want to go on merit or based on the, uh, this is my moment, the slow clap guy from not another teen movie right. there. Same deal. Either one of those. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I think that we'll see that come Oscar Sunday. Let's talk about the lead from Sound of Metal, Riz Ahmed and his chances in the lead actor category. Mike. Yeah, he's fifth on Clayton Davis's list on Variety. Awards ace Eric Weber, a lot of uh, glowing tweets from him as well. Seven of 12 have him in their top five on uh, Next Best Picture. Maybe it was top 10. I didn't write that down. They, they list the 10, which I'm thankful for. Uh, but only one out of 18 of the you know major trade critics, and I, it's probably Clayton Davis that for that matter, mm-hmm. have him in their top five on Gold Derby, Mike. So Again, I'm kind of guessing that this is one of those declaration-level performances for a younger actor where he's going to you know, cement himself on the Academy radar going forward. He did that with the Television Academy after the night of. I right. think he's going to be in a, you know, an Oscar contender in years to come. But is this the movie that's going to break through for him? We'll see. I see it exactly as you do there. I think Riz is one of those guys where it's just a matter of time before he has his Academy moment. Mm -hmm. I just don't think it's going to be because of this performance in this movie. I mean, the reality here, it's, it's, it's synonymous with what we just talked about in a lot of ways with Steven Yoon from Minari. There's, there's too much going against him on the outside of this movie before you actually get into what he's doing with the character itself. I mean, as far as acting goes, specifically lead acting, the field, the size of this movie versus the sizes of other movies and other studios that are going to get behind those movies. Right. But on top of all of that stuff, Riz doesn't play an overly likable person. In this, for this character, for the majority of the movie, either, and I think I could see the Academy kind of shying away from that type of performance. Now, the easy, easy counter argument to that is: was there anyone less likable than Joaquin Phoenix and Joker last year? I think that was awarded for, based on different criteria, but I, 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 for the most part, the Academy doesn't wholly embrace characters mm-hmm. that aren't universally unlikable for the majority of their films. Delroy Lindo is going against the same thing, but that performance is so damn good. You you might be right. I mean, there might be a threshold where you're like, all right, I can't put this many rounded characters in there, even though it's a movie about him learning lessons. So maybe there's the silver lining. Sure, he's not. Yeah, he's not like the baddest of bad guys throughout the entire thing. I don't want to give that impression, but just that in concert with how small this movie is, how I don't think there's going to be a huge groundswell of support from it. I think it's just going to be very hard to get that type of character from this type of movie to break through. News of the World Fury Road, when that comes out and Tom Hanks is saving, <laughs> you know, that little girl right. from all of these, you know, cowboy pedophiles. And when Colin Firth and Stanley Tucci are just hugging and you just want right. to, you, you literally put your lips to the screen and just kiss them on their foreheads throughout that movie. you got to ask them to get some scarves, man. If that's the road you're going down, they definitely have some scarves. And if uh, <laughs> Gary Oldman is just that lovable drunk. Uh, right. And then Anthony Hopkins is just, you know, again, everybody's grandfather. Yeah. Lindo and Hopkins are probably cemented right now. But I mentioned Oldman, Hanks, uh, George Clooney mm-hmm. is going to be out there farming space stuff. Anyway, Stanley <laughs> Tucci, Colin Firth, Sasha Baron Cohen, Eddie Redmayne, who goes lead. And of right. course, you have three 
No, I don't. I don't want to say newcomers, but Kingsley Benadier is a newcomer, and he could just crash the category and win it. Chadwick Boseman could win it, and Daniel Kaluuya could flat out win it. You know, and he's already paid his dues after Get Out. So those are all names that should contend, that probably will contend. And then you have guys that can crash the party later on, like Denzel right. Washington, Michael Fassbender, Tom Holland from Cherry Next Goal Wins or the the Tragedy of Macbeth that have With all been big rumored. studios behind them too. That are well versed in, you know, I mean, it's there's a lot going against this. I think there's a lot going against this. It's unlikely that it's going to hold there. That being said, Riz Ahmed should be in the Oscar conversation for the next five, ten years a for thousand whatever percent. he does well, right, going forward because he has established himself in in a movie that you know after the trailer where it was like him slamming his fist on the table saying i have problems that i'm dealing with during these 2 hours that you're watching the movie and it was just awful the awfulest trailer it's no i'm sorry for the people who cut that i'm not happy with them is just on the nose but the movie is not that shockingly like those scenes actually play like I mean, there's subtext in the scene where he's screaming that he's having a hard time, and, and I'm not going to give it away what's going on, but he's screaming in the in the trailer scene, and, it, and it's actually a realization moment, and then he has this ridiculously subtle gesture where he, his eye like flickers, and it almost, he almost drops a single tear, but he doesn't. He holds back. Oh, my God, this man <laughs> was acting circles around this movie. I loved it. Yes, he, he. I mean, it's a it's a good performance. I'm not trying to say I'm not trying to disparage the performance at all. I'm with you 100, percent and I'm also with you that it's a matter of time. I truly believe it's a matter of time before Riz Ahmed is holding some type of uh, serious hardware, whether that be a golden man for the movies or a golden something else for TV. Uh, it's a matter of time before he has his moment on stage. I totally, totally agree. As far as poorly cut trailers go yeah. uh, we had a couple other oscar contending trailers mm-hmm. that did debut this week we wanted to comment on and touch on hillbilly elegy gave us its first look oh boy look i'm all about looking around the edges and context of every possible moment when it comes to oscars ship and contenderhood those mm-hmm. are two words i just made up mm-hmm. i gotta say having the title of this trailer written the way it is on youtube really sticks out to me as a red flag. Hillbilly Elegy, a Ron Howard film, dash Amy Adams and Glenn Close is the title of this trailer on Netflix's YouTube channel. If you look around Netflix's YouTube channel, they aren't as descriptive with anything more than the show or film's title on pretty much the entire page. But here for this movie, they're throwing every name in the world at the wall in the hopes of getting more clicks on it. That is noticeable to me. So... This is a best-selling book, a best-selling non-fiction mm-hmm. book. So that's the title of the book. They didn't go far from that. Ron right. Howard's a you know major name in directing circles. Amy Adams and Glenn Close have been knocking on the Oscar door year right. in, year out, and they can also carry movies as stars. Michael, this movie may be based on the uh, nameless son of the film, <laughs> whoever that is. <laughs> <laughs> and I keep hearing that from people. The buzz and the scuttlebutt is that the movie has him as the protagonist. And that might be a disaster for this movie. Like, if we all go in thinking that at least, all right, we're going to get Glenn Close playing Carl Fredrickson from Up. And, <laughs> you know, that's an interesting choice for her. Let's let's do it. Let's see it. Let's watch it. And, and Amy Adams is going to be a heroin addict in this movie. So, I mean, yeah, I mean, it's going to be serious, but can she pull that off? 
No, it's, if it's based on the sun, then <laughs> we spend 75% of the movie with the sun, that's going to be an issue. I mean, that's an issue. This this is giving me Goldfinch vibes right now. That's an issue in and oh, of boy. itself, certainly. Oh. And, and I mean, it just sounds like they're throwing the big names that you look how important this movie is. And my God, is this trailer taking itself so seriously? Uh, there's super heavy explosions yeah. in the sky level score to set the trailer up. There's yeah. a lot of dirty looks between Close and Adams and Close's grandkid, the son you're talking about there. We're getting some long shots of dialogue. I feel like the trailer's given away too much. Like, I feel like I saw an entire argument between Glenn Close and Amy Adams and Amy Adams and another character. They're making some bold choices. They're not hiding the ball. Those are some thick glasses. These, this is, <laughs> has been established. Um, I don't know if Tommy Lee Jones looks like Brad Pitt's father more than Glenn Close looks like Amy Adams' mother, <laughs> but it's, it's a problem as well. Uh, I think a little, Ron little callback to our Ad Astra review there for people who may not know what he's talking about. Yeah, Ron Howard had number one episode of all time on Mike, Mike, and Oscar. Yeah, Ad Astra review somehow. By the way, how is that possible? Anyway, I don't Makes get no sense. all our fans. I don't get you, but yeah, that's a fun episode. But we love you. We love you. You're weird. Anyway, so are we though. We are weird. The fact that yeah, we we did it up as much as we did in that freaking episode, Michael. I think that I'm worried. This movie could be a disaster, but I do want to put the caveat out there that we just reviewed Sound of Metal, which turned out to be a really strong film that had a terrible trailer. Get Out, I kind of refer to that how many times on this podcast where I hated all of the marketing for that movie, and it wound up being one of the best movies we've ever reviewed on this podcast. So, yeah, maybe you need Michael Giacchino's score. To help uh, Carl Fredrickson get those balloons up in the air in this movie, but she does talk about Terminator and how much she's, how many times she's watched Terminator the movie with Arnold Schwarzenegger. So it might be more relatable than you think. Uh, I just have <laughs> concerns. I just really have concerns. I mean, this, the way this trailer was cut and what's shown, mm-hmm. it reeks of Academy desperation to me. And oh, no. like you said. We've been misled by trailers for both better and worse before. I mean, even just go back and look at how we treated the Trial of the Chicago 7 trailer. The review says, you know, it wasn't as bad as we were fearing it was, even though there is certainly stuff to be concerned about. Go check out our Oscar Sprint profile for the Trial of Chicago 7. That was our last episode. But this was not great. And there's talent involved everywhere in this movie. I mean, even for that score, no, it's not Michael Giacchino, but it is... (laughs) Hans Zimmer doing the score for this. So there's talent everywhere all over this movie. I can't fathom it not being good, but I also wouldn't be able to fathom this trailer being the first look for this movie with that much talent attached to it. It seems like it's two hours of poverty porn that's going to feel like three hours of poverty porn, unfortunately. And, you know, maybe they got to... Maybe they got to rethink how they cut these trailers, I guess. I don't know. Or maybe they're just doing it to purposely lower our expectations. So, Oh, that's a, <laughs> it's a genius uh, game to screw with Oscar pundits. Exactly. Right. I don't know. Uh, we could talk about another trailer that I think was cut well, even though it's probably our 47th or 48th look at the movie Upcoming Soul had its billionth trailer reveal, Michael. Yeah, the cities just look real. Like, I forgot I was watching an animated film until, like, the blue ghost showed up. Yeah. Whatever that was, Casper showed up. Uh, <laughs> it reminds me of Ratatouille level levels of realism there, and uh, then you have this Heaven Can Wait 
Heaven Can't Wait. What the hell is that title? I think it's Heaven, it's heaven Can't it's Wait. Heaven can, it's Heaven Can't Wait. Yeah, yeah, you nailed it. See, you've, you've been watching too many pig documentaries, and now all of a sudden, anything with a narrative function just goes right out the window. How many pig documentaries are too many pig documentaries? <laughs> That's a good question. But what did you think, Mike? I, I'm with you. Uh, not about the pig documentaries. <laughs> I'm with you about this trailer for Soul. The animation looks immaculate and because of that i can't help but be a little upset we won't get a chance to see this on any big screen true i mean the contrast of the artwork and the unbelievable realism i would love to see it on a regular film i mean any kind of big screen it doesn't even have to be imax but just any movie theater but i guess if nothing else it'll be interesting to see this go one-on-one with netflix's over the moon because neither is going to have the advantage of being seen on a big screen so that's going to be something interesting to watch. Also, we're given a little more plot to chew on in this trailer, finally, as this trailer introduces us to the great before, where souls get their personalities, quirks, and interests before they get to Earth. Yeah, that was terrifying. And <laughs> making it even more terrifying is you have the Picasso painting angels, St. Peter's. Oh, my God. I'm freaking the F out, Mike. But then they're pooping pizza. You know, they're yeah. just pooping whole slices of pizza, and it's Three Stooges-type humor that I haven't laughed at in any one of these trailers, unfortunately. But here's the thing. We truck trust Pixar, don't we, at this Absolutely. point? I don't care if 47 trailers come through and they don't necessarily make us laugh. Uh, we've heard that this is a strong movie for Pixar. But even if it wasn't, They've only made a few bad movies in their whole lexicon. We've reviewed them all, so I think we got faith for a good reason. Yeah, I think we're looking at the likely category winner in animation already, and Mm -hmm. it looks like, based on 2020 being what it is, this could also be a contender in a couple other categories. Sure. I I think this is a huge win for Disney. I think it's a huge get for Disney+, and it's kind of going towards Disney just having nothing to do with theaters anymore, which is another story we're going to touch on in just a minute. But I, I think there's a lot of big things in store for this award season to come for this movie. So yeah, I agree. There's no way there can, they can make a Pixar cinematic universe, though, is there? <laughs> like, you can't tie this into what happens in Inside Out. That can't be a coherent through line, can it? I don't think so, but then... <laughs> uh... I mean, visually speaking, it it actually turned out that they made some distinctions with this last trailer from what we saw in uh, Inside Out. That's true. Where it was feeling a lot more like Inside Out before that, at least visually speaking, you know, because I don't know. But because we saw the before before time. What what is that called? I just think of the beginning of that stupid movie that I thought was going to be Best Animated Feature winner. What was that movie? It was like all singing and kids, and I've totally blocked it out. I have mind. no clue what you're referencing. I predicted right now. it last year. This is only a year ago, and I'm forgetting <laughs> just blatantly <laughs> names of films. Just like how you are mispronouncing titles of films, and let right. me deflect my own lack of memory. Right this is now my fault you. now. <laughs> yeah, where you're just like, yeah, the Stars War. The Stars War is a franchise I really enjoy. Well, it is a war amongst the stars. I'm not wrong. Ammonite, Mike! The second trailer for Ammonite came out. Of course, it was Ugly Dolls. Yes, naturally. Ugly Dolls. Uh, As everyone expected our Ammonite trailer review to start off with. (laughs) Very good. Uh, This movie has been something I've been very inappropriate about up till now. Um, we haven't gotten to see it yet because it only went to drive-ins since TIFF mm-hmm. and we, we didn't participate in TIFF. Maybe we should have. I want this movie 
to be better than I fear it is. But this trailer is getting me there because she doesn't seem as bored as in the other trailers. Uh, also, she's not polishing fossils as much while ogling Saoirse Ronan. That's what I pictured this movie is. She's just ogling Saoirse Ronan for days <laughs> on end. And th- that is what the movie is. I mean, she's ogling Saoirse Ronan from many other venues, though, and vantage points and settings, though. So that at the very least, you're going to get a variety of uh, backdrops. She's on a boat ogling Saoirse Ronan in an art gallery on the beach in the house looking up while polishing a few fossils. All right. It's in there. It's in the movie. We knew it was going to be in the movie. The movie's titled Ammonite. It's a, that's a fossil. Right. right. <laughs> I think, uh, you know, you, you really have become that, that connoisseur of film over this past weekend because, man, this looked artsy-fartsy to me. <laughs> Just ripping of the longest one. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I, I give Kate Winslet credit because if she's doing her own stunts, which it truly looks like she is, falling down that kind of cliff face there on the beach, that's kind of impressive. If, and it, it looked like it was all one shot and looked truly like Kate Winslet. So if she's doing her own stunt work. Props to her, but man, I mean, there's a line of dialogue in this trailer. My wife hasn't been well as of late. Cut to Sir Sharon and staring at a trap bee slamming itself against the turned over plastic cup and trapping it because subtext is for fools, apparently. What a wonderful opportunity it would be for her to walk the shoreline with you, learn from you. And then we get a lot of silent sobbing with string instruments playing over. Like, it's just so heavy handed. Yeah, I mean, the husband's about to say, have sex with my wife, please. <laughs> Somebody should. I'm, I'm surprised. Like, she she feels trapped like a like a bee that's trapped under a plastic cup. Like, there's no subtlety in this. But look, as far as the reception for the movie, we've talked about it had kind of a poor, rocky opening. Things seem to have turned around since then. It's carrying a 75 meta rating right now with a 6.8 on IMDb, even though it's still only in the first couple hundred reviews there. But it is carrying an 80 Rotten Tomato score right now, 80%. So, you know, once this movie just finds its way to the archaeology sect of the Academy members, you know this is just going to take off. A lot of the critics we trust say Sir Ronan's very good in it, and a lot of the mainstream critics that we've you know grown up loving have said that uh, Kate Winslet it, it puts on a great performance. So for them to get nominated and to get you know the interest they need to get and the momentum they need to get, this movie had to do better with critics since its initial debut. Mm-hmm. All that being said... A lot of the people we do trust that have, you know, reviewed it over the last week that saw it at a drive-in or two, mm-hmm. they're not happy no. with it. So we, I don't know. I don't know what to we, think. We can't have an Oscars this year. Right? No, no. <laughs> that's a that's a different episode, I'm sure, that I'm going to get into. But yeah. I am not feeling great about what's going on in 2020. Let's, uh, let's finish off this episode with a quick smattering of news, Michael. Yes, Amazon bought Coming to America for a whopping $125 million, Mike, on a $60 million announced or listed production budget. What did you think? I think it's smart for both parties. I really like this move. Paramount's been selling movies all year long. Mm-hmm. Uh, they've done projects that have already come out, like The Lovebirds and The Trial of the Chicago 7, which was our most recent OSP, like I told told you about. They've sold upcoming films, like Coming to America Here and an upcoming Ryan Reynolds movie. I, I think it's had to have helped their bottom line. I'm a little surprised they've been 
by far the most active studio, but I'm surprised by how far they have been the most active in terms of selling off properties that are already in the tin to different streaming services. Uh, they've done, I think, six or eight movies already, and I don't think any major studio has come close to that number. Yeah. So they're getting probably a half a billion dollars or so, or at least a quarter billion dollars of revenue coming in this year where other studios aren't having that opportunity, even though we've seen other studios turn to different you know, machinations, different avenues for revenue. Universal doing a flirtation with PVOD is one such example of that. But I, I think this is just a wise move by both parties. Paramount gets over $100 million of revenue in for a $60 million movie. Amazon gets a quality title to bolster their library that people not only want to see because of the allure of coming to America, the first one, but, mm -hmm. you know, this film already went viral a couple times during its production. We had the, uh, the still shots from the set where Martin Lawrence and Will Smith were hanging out out with Eddie Murphy and Wesley Snipes and a bunch of different people. And if you look at the cast list, you have the likes of Leslie Jones and Kiki Lane mm -hmm. and, and, and Arsenio Hall attached to this, Tracy Morgan. So I think this is a wise move for both sides. Am I wrong here, Mike? Well, coming to America, T.O., is still funny as hell, by the way. Right. I mean, we've watched that over the past years, uh, year or so, and, and we've loved it still, which is which is great to, great news for everybody, by the way. So that holds up. So this sequel is well-timed, and it should be a fun holiday movie. It was getting a little scary that it wasn't coming out at the holidays because it was right. probably going to get bumped. And Amazon rolled in, paying well above you know the list price, right? So... I am surprised that Amazon got into the tentpole game, you know, with a comedy necessarily. A yeah, I'm a little yeah. surprised at that, but you know, they have One Night in Miami coming out on Christmas. They have Borat coming out at the end of this month. So I'm I'm guessing that, you know, for comedy fans out there, I mean, you have to own Amazon Prime Video if you want to see the best comedies of the year. So they're making themselves essential in that regard, and it's not something necessarily that Netflix has said they, you know, they gotta own. I mean, this was a pick for Andrew. Andrew wanted Netflix to go after this movie because Eddie Murphy has been with Netflix. But yeah, I mean, Adam Sandler comedies—they're goofy, whatever. Eddie Murphy did Dolomite, which is, you know, kind of a crossover movie. It was funny, but it was also, you know, an awards movie. So I'm a little surprised that Amazon went for that price tag. I'm not surprised at what Paramount's doing though. They have. Paramount TV, which is going to be their streaming service. Right mm -hmm. now they have Paramount Network, which is a television station. Of course, they're owned by CBS, essentially, whoever owns CBS. So yeah, that Viacom deal, yeah. Okay, so they're basically trying to figure out how to teach old people to do streaming services, <laughs> right? Uh, well, yeah, sure. I think CBS All Access is for that, but yeah. <laughs> they don't have the streaming network that's clicking on all cylinders yet. They just talked about rebranding it to Paramount TV. Yeah, they have Picard. Yeah, they have a few things. Yeah, they have Kevin Costner on the Paramount uh, network there and with that Western show, but I don't think they necessarily have the revenue coming in like a Buena Vista has with Disney Plus, like, you know, well, if all that's these the other case, studios have, you know? If if that's the case, and I, I tend to agree with you, Variety just had a big write-up at the end of September saying how Paramount TV was going to be more for made-for-TV movies with A-list talent attached to it, mm -hmm. more so than long-form television programming. So they're not going to go into the TV series. Paramount TV is going to focus on making their own films. Why not keep some of these and have, I mean, coming to America would buy you a couple subs. Apparently uh, Amazon Prime thinks so, right? So why not 
put this just on Paramount TV and hope that it draws people in. If you have these movies, why is Paramount being so active in selling off their properties that are already done if their plan is to roll out Paramount TV with in-house movie productions? A, I don't know if it's ready yet. B, I don't necessarily think they have enough confidence in it yet. So they're going to you know, play mm. smaller budget and then they're going to try to cast a wider net is what I'm saying. They're going to put more lures out in the water for more right. groups of people than just, you know, taking the big swing. Is this too much money for a streaming movie? No, absolutely not. And Amazon Prime proved as much. But I, I do think I heard from Ann Thompson, I think it was a while back on Screen Talk, that they had, you know, change in management. So this might be one of those situations where the new general manager or head coach of a sports team is just kind of selling off the old, you know, ball players and making trades right. and all that. And, they're you know, they're making profit on these movies by doing so but they're kind of cleaning house a little bit on the mm -hmm. old slate from the old people in charge that might be the case here interesting so it's definitely something to watch but coming to the number two america the sequel uh to the 80s comedy is going to be on amazon prime now going forward we have some bad news and some good news regarding box office the bad news is that amc came out this week and said cash reserves will run out in late 2020 or early 2021 the good news is that governor governor cuomo said new york theaters can reopen on october 23rd outside of new york city that is so yes there's a lot of stories in the trades this weekend saying that theater owners are ecstatic that new york state movie theaters 25 of them or so they're reopening and they finally got new york in the game yeah you got articles that private watch parties are starting to do well for tenant where essentially you can you know rent out your home movie theater for like 100 150 bucks and if it's a private watch party you and your friends or you and your relatives can go watch tenant with with that kind of creative way to what do you think it would have theater. cost to rent out my podunk theater 14 dollars <laughs> If you bought, but you'd have to eat the popcorn from four months ago. It's a foot long sub from the subway next door, but you have to get double meat. <laughs> right. Exactly. <laughs> Mike, it's, it's sad that we're laughing. I know. This, I miss you know. it. I'm so upset about it. I truly am. Yeah. We're laughing over the grave of your post right. movie theater. <laughs> well, because otherwise we'd cry, I think. That's right. We did have a lot of good times there. A lot of good memories. Shitty sound though, shitty picture. I like that's the snob in me. Like that's the that's where I turn into asshole mode and get mad at it. Look again, I'm trying to preface this whole uh, you know take right now. Chinese box office is doing very well. Yes. So there's a lot of feel good stories about movie theaters this week. I just feel like they're being kind of forced on me. Bottom line is, and I'm trying not to say a lot of bottom lines. I know I broke and said a few of them this episode, but this is quite literally the bottom line. If Congress doesn't bail out movie theaters, the movie studios are going to have to bail out movie theaters, and a lot of them. And, uh, you know, the AMC cries for help is just another example of that. Movie theaters are going to be in real trouble, I think we both agree, oh, yeah. if they don't oh, yeah. get opened. And it's not just whether or not they get open, though. It's it's whether they can make money. And we're still seeing the, you know, number one box office earner at the U.S. domestic box office, I mean, it's great that Liam Neeson's atop the box office again if you're a Liam Neeson fan, but he made $3.7 million with that Honest Thief movie. There's it's not good. much more reason to be concerned, too, when you read about, I think it was Tom Bruggeman's article for IndieWire talking about how uh, Disney has a whole new sector in place within their company of yeah. that's 
wholly dedicated to researching viability for other avenues outside of theatrical releases. Uh, that's wildly concerning. I, I mean, movie theaters, I always thought would be around for blockbusters, but if you don't have Disney for your blockbusters, if you don't have the MCU, you don't have Star Wars, you don't have Disney kids program, like what? I don't, I don't see, I don't understand how you're able to be profitable as a movie theater. Not saying that they're the only studio, but they certainly are the biggest with the biggest box office draws. All you have to do is go look at the year by year box office draws to see how often Disney or Buena Vista appears atop those charts. Mike, the the movie studios out there, they understand how hard it is to be profitable in the exhibition business. They've been partners with all these movie theater chains and partners with all these movie theaters for almost a century, perhaps more. We saw writing on the wall with the Paramount Decrees happen. We've seen all kinds of indicators from uh, uh, several studios now that they're trying to push for more streaming titles uh, in, in several formats and several models, et cetera, et cetera. We understand at the same time that movie theaters are basically managing their tent poles to open them in theaters or not open them at all, keep pushing them back. So it's, it's a, one of those situations where, of course, Disney should have a think tank trying to figure out that if movie theaters are closed in the, in the U.S. because of mass chains just having to, to, to shut their doors... Yeah, but it seems like it's more than just due diligence is, is I guess, the point I'm trying to make. Because, it, okay, if, movie it, the, if they, it, if they yeah. weren't relying on movie theaters, you have Disney+. Plus. Just go to Disney+. Plus. You have the contract with Hulu, you know? Like, just, you, there, there already are embedded into the Disney hierarchy avenues that they can go to. So if they're having a whole, they're paying these guys, who knows, untold millions to seriously research a way around needing theaters at all. I think that's very, very concerning. It's very concerning. I do think business models are going to change post-pandemic when people are not necessarily watching streaming services as much as they are. I mean, you're going to see the streaming wars commence where they're really fighting for content, where you're really fighting for viewership, and it's not going to be what it is now where everybody is viewing stuff at home. And the, and the numbers are just astronomical because there's nowhere to go. You can't go to the movies, really. or You can, but people are afraid to. So... I think Disney is trying to find another avenue, right? They're trying to say, do we really have to bail out movie theaters? Because Clearly, at the end of the yeah. day, it, all the studios are probably like, we're probably going to have to bail out movie theaters because we're going to have to ensure that these tent poles work financially. And that's why they bumped them all, right? Most of them. And it's Disney's just be big enough. Fascinating. To, yeah, Disney's big enough to gamble with a few of them. Warner Brothers gambled with Tenant. And, you know, they're, they're again, they're big enough. To where they can absorb those losses, but you can't absorb the losses for an entire year's slate where you're supposed to make billions and you only make millions. I mean, I don't think the streaming dollars, I don't think for their streaming, for all their streaming services, they're working on that macro level of, you know, economic gain yet. I don't think they're making Netflix money yet. All I can say as far as theatrical viability is Wall Street is certainly not high on AMC. Uh, just as an example, that stock went from about seven yeah. bucks down to under four within the last like month or so, I want to no. say. I've just been keeping an eye on it. So something's going to have to give. I mean, yeah, if, if Congress won't step in to save theaters, then, then studios are going to have to, unless studios are all preparing for this already and just 
don't see i mean i I don't know what the answer is i've been screaming for some sort of innovation and maybe we are just now on the cusp of amazon walmart apple etc being the only theatrical game in town if they want to start buying up studios or buying up theaters excuse me because of the paramount decrees being rolled back uh something definitely we have kept our eye on for seven months and we will continue to uh just gonna be fascinating to watch especially if studios go forward trying to save theaters without disney as one of the studio i just there's all kinds of variables in this that are just wild to me all kinds of variables and yet the the people actually making the most money on streaming right now are the giant corporations like uh you know the the mega corporations like amazon and and what netflix is becoming so the apple why would they when they have another viable option, why would they go for movie theaters, which we know is an impossible business? Where well, it wouldn't be. To... Yeah, you're, I mean, you're absolutely right. They wouldn't just buy theaters to have theaters. The, I, my thinking now at this point is they would change the theatrical game. Right. Like they would make it niche, luxurious, super, you know, high price, kind of like an Alamo draft house type experience. One of those things, but nationwide. But yeah, you're right. I mean, they wouldn't they have no impetus right now to jump in and save theaters on their own as they are, as we know theaters to be right now. Uh, mm. Let's move on here and start wrapping up. It's very scary. Absolutely terrifying. Uh, Thomas Vinterberg's comedy, Another Round, ended up winning the London Film Festival Audience Award this past weekend, Michael. So we only included this because we wanted to correct the record. That was another trailer that we really didn't like. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Get in <laughs> line. <laughs> Because the trailer was about alcoholism, which is a very serious problem, and it was being portrayed as hilariously funny. Well, apparently, if this is winning audience awards right across the pond, they made it work, tonally speaking. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, it's a midlife crisis, bunch of school teachers that figure that they should drink hard every day (laughs) to get through their midlife crisis so obviously that has its problems and i think the movie's gonna walk that tightrope but make it work hopefully i saw a lot of love for a mads mickelson oscars push too as a result good so i was on twitter this weekend as well i would love it i would love it finally mike uh last story for oscars 2022 or did you say last story last time uh no but this is the last one this is finito all right uh anya taylor joy yaya abdul mateen and chris Hemsworth, they have been cast in Furiosa, the Mad Max Fury Road prequel. I think I wrote sequel, but it's actually a prequel. Right. What'd you think of this? Uh, you know, I'm, I'm excited. That seems like a nice collection of talent. I, I don't really have many huge thoughts. What about you, Mike? Anya Taylor-Joy is taking something from that, you know, casting in new mutants i think that's my first takeaway like this that was a physical performance for her after non-physical performances in the witch and emma like she bare like she walks and trips in emma and that's you know she's just absolutely <laughs> fragile <in> that movie. <laughs> she needs to be carried everywhere so the fact that she's going to be an action star is really cool and uh it's built on the back of that sword armed character in new mutants so awesome we also have a question here like is chris hemsworth is he immortan joe from mad max fury road or is he and yaya are they teamed up are they good guy bad guy like yaya i mean i don't I, I feel like this is his time. Like he's going to have that breakout become, you know, an A-lister movie star with mm. a performance like this. Uh, 
or, or with a you know property like this. So I'm wondering how Chris Hemsworth factors in. It's it's good that this is casting that's opening the door to a lot of questions and getting intrigue and talking points started already. We all know what a huge success Fury Road was. It probably should have been a greater success in terms of Oscars, even more so than it actually did. Um, I ask, I'll answer your questions with a few more of my own. <laughs> what if I told you that New Mutants is one of the top 20 highest grossing films of the year? And like, unless something drastically shifts in the next 80 days or so, New Mutants is going to go down in history as one of the top 15 highest grossing films worldwide for the year it was released. That's a problem. I mean, clearly I was wrong about everything and Josh Boone should handle all properties going forward, so. Oh, God, Josh Boone. (laughs) Oh, that, that, the, the major red flags. Just all of my alarm bells are going off. My scarf is getting too hot under the collar right now. I gotta rip it off. That's why I threw it to you at the start, because that was literally the only take I had written down for this. <laughs> okay, it's terrifying. Um, but yeah, we'll have to all rewatch Fury Road and uh, get ready for this, because it's exciting. But that, uh, that's a lot of uh, Oscar race checkpointing, Mike. That's a lot of news and a lot of uh, red flags and concern. And yeah. There's some points of optimism we tried throwing in here. That's nice. You could watch Mads Mikkelsen get drunk and feel good about it, apparently. There it you pulls go. off the drunkenness, yes. <laughs> that's, that's, that's our thoughts, but we want to hear yours. As always, dear listener, we want to hear your thoughts, comments, questions, concerns about anything we talked about in this episode, as well as anything else we do here in the MMO Empire. You can leave us those on our social medias. As always, we are Mike, Mike, and Oscar on Facebook and Instagram. MM and Oscar on Twitter, Mike, Mike and Oscar at gmail.com.com and on Reddit. We are available everywhere you hear podcasts, including and especially the Apple Podcast app. If you happen to be listening to us right now on that app, if you would be so kind and take 10 seconds out of your day to go into the app and leave us a five star review, that would be awfully cool of you and make our entire day in the process. Michael, uh, I, I, I'm almost fearful to ask your new monocled, bespectacled self with your <laughs> scarves going up and down that long neck of yours what your final words of wisdom here are and what's coming up next, but I, I will do so, sir. Well, at the end of October, obviously we have the Scaries, the third annual Scaries, so I'm not too pretentious at this point. Which French Marxist film most is represented? <laughs> Fritz Lang movies for me, and that's own, that's not French. But... It's going to be a deep dive into M. <laughs> Spectre. Spectre is another uh, episode and uh, installment into the James Bond character study, and I'm going to have a lot to say about that movie. That movie is bad at times, and it's really good at others. And what a Bond character study episode that's going to be. we got to lengthen that series to make it to next (laughs) April now, but we are determined to do it. Mike, I think in the very next episode, we are going to talk about One Night in Miami amongst many other fall film festival non-spoiler movie reviews that we will mention. You have been watching a bunch of horror movies, so I think it's time for another What We're Watching show, and we're going to distinguish that from the guests that we're going to have at the beginning of November, kind of do a roundup show or state of the race kind of show when we get to that point but i'm happy we have a returning guest who we uh we kind of booked for that week as well yeah we're setting the oscars table which is uh exciting and apparently we're going full force with this even though my god are there concerns i have about the oscars table that we are setting for this year? yeah <laughs> but you got montclairfilm.org by the way yes. again go go and support that film festival you have middleburg that just finished up i think you can catch some of the end films at afi fest uh by the way so you know check 
uh, th those websites out, but also check out ScreenDaily.com. That's been my go-to for kind of learning about all the film festivals out there. They have a list of not only the U.S. film festivals, Mike, but the the festivals abroad in Europe, etc. So if you're not in the States and you want to maybe catch one of these movies uh, virtually, you can do it. Just go to those resources, and that'll be my words of wisdom. Yeah, wise words indeed, and that is the greatest good that has come out of this disaster of a year is having these film festivals kind of go virtual and allowing people to participate that otherwise wouldn't be able to. So sure. uh, with every pandemic comes a silver lining, I guess. Oh, God. <laughs> All right, guys, when reality, when reality sucks, you can come watch these movies and hang out virtually with us. We are Mike, Mike, and Oscar trying to make award season year-round without the stuffiness. We will see you all very soon. I wish our motto didn't mean this much. <laughs> and I wish it didn't work as well. But all right, we'll see you guys. Yeah.